All right, let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you once again for today. It truly is a blessing to be able to meet like this. This is unique. It's unique in the world to be able to meet the way we do, where we can come together inside a building and sing and give you praise and pray and hear your word in peace and freedom. Father, this is unique. We thank you. Help us not to take this time for granted. Father, help us to use this time wisely to pray for those who don't have the opportunity to to meet the way we do, to be mindful of them. So Father, we just pray that you would anoint the words that will be spoken, that you would awaken our hearts to the reality of what the body of Christ faces in this world daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, each year, every year, around this time, every year, we have the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I'm sure many of us who have been here for uh, year after year, we've done various things on a Sunday. Um, There was one Sunday, I believe, where um, I think our Bibles were taken, um, just to simulate what it's like to be at a church without your Bible. Um, We've done uh, dedicated times of prayer. We've dedicated maybe 15 minutes of prayer during prayer time, sometimes the whole Uh, 30 minutes of prayer time. Um, But regardless of how much time we spend praying for the persecuted church, we tend to just let this issue pass by. And I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm right in there when when I say we tend to let this issue pass by. I do that. In fact, I've been, this is my third time doing the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church here at Trinity. The third time. Once a year we do it. This is the third time. And I'll be honest with you, the last two times that we did the prayer for the persecuted church, by the next Sunday, I forgot about what we did. Totally out of my mind. Totally just passed by. And and this year, we were about to do the same thing. I was about to do the exact same thing. This year was, again, November 8th, 2015, that's today, we were going to, churches from all over the world are praying for the persecuted church today. And my plan was to spend five minutes, ten minutes maybe, to pray for the persecuted church. I had a sermon prepared. In fact, we were going to start a sermon series today um, called Heaven. I was going to preach on heaven, the first of three messages. And yesterday, Man, you got to love it when God pulls these sharp turns last minute. Yesterday, as I was preparing, you know, kind of for the talk, I just felt this deep conviction come over me that I just could not let this slip by. And I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever. Sermon series, it could wait. What do you want? you to do. And 
I believe the sense that I had was to talk about the persecuted church more in depth and then to take time after the uh, talk to pray as a church corporately to pray um, for the church. And so uh, Hebrews 13 verse 3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And so we want to spend some time to pray for those who are unable to gather the way we do. Um, you know, the way we can gather like this in peace and freedom. And so we just have a, a quick uh, video clip to show you um, about the persecuted church. There have been more people martyred for their faith in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries all combined. There have been more people who have died or faced death in the name of Jesus in the last hundred years than the previous almost 2,000 years. The number is around 100 million Christians in the 20th century. 100 million have faced martyrdom. This number comes from uh, an organization called Open Doors. Uh, Open Doors is an organization dedicated uh, to um, really alerting the church about the problem of persecution in the church all around the world. And so these numbers come from them. 100 million in the last 100 years. Our population in Canada in 2013 was 35 million. The entire nation's population, 35 million. Almost three times that number have died in the name of Jesus in the last hundred years, more than the previous 19 centuries combined. Persecution of Christians is growing at an exponential rate. Now each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. Every month, 322 are killed for their faith. 214 Christian properties are destroyed. That's church buildings, home church uh, buildings, and so on. Now here's an interesting thing. This isn't just in uh, countries uh, like far, far away. It's also in the States. Just the last couple weeks, there were seven churches that were set on fire. There were, well, they placed fire in their doorsteps and to cause havoc in the churches. Seven different churches in St. Louis just, just a week, week and a half, two weeks ago. And so it's not an overseas thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that's happening here as well. 722 forms of violence are committed against Christians, including beatings, abductions, rape, arrest, and forced marriages. Every month, every month this is happening. It's unbelievable. Now, we talk about persecution here in Canada, right? The Christians in Canada, we talk about persecution here because, yes, we do face persecution here as well. We face it through our collective voice being muted in society. Our beliefs are being slammed. It's, un, it's politically incorrect 
to have Christian views. Did you know that in the United States, this is astonishing, I found this out just a couple days ago. In the United States, they have a list, a list of religious extremism. Evangelical Christians are on that list of religious extremism. Now, I understand there are, you know, in the body of Christ, we have some wacky uncles and cousins, okay? We do. I mean, there's churches that do some horrible things, really. We do. But you know what? Evangelical Christians being on the list of the religious extremism list, that includes us. That includes us. Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada. It includes us. And you know who else is on that list of religious extremism? Al-Qaeda. Transnational militant Islamic group. Hamas. Palestine. Palestinian militant Islamic group. And evangelical Christians are on that list. We're grouped in the list with terrorists. So yes, Christians in the West are persecuted for our faith. It's a silent persecution. You know, and I believe it could get worse. You know, our rights are slowly being taken away. Our voice being taken away. That's how it all starts and then it snowballs from there. I could get worse. This is why at Trinity we pray fervently for renewal. We need revival. We need that in the churches. We need that in our nation. I believe that God is going to move in a powerful way. He's done it in the past. He's going to do it again. And so that's why we pray for renewal. Because it's getting dark out there. It really is. But bad things happen among many of our sisters and brothers in the Lord all over the world. And so I want to talk really briefly about two reasons. I mean, there's more than two reasons why persecution exists, but we're going to focus on two, two of the real main reasons why persecution happens. Why does it have to be this way? You know, Why does it have to be that I can't go out in public and say the name of Jesus without getting uh, silenced? Why, why is that? Why is it in certain countries where you, you, can, you, you live for Jesus and you can get your head lopped off. Why? Why does it have to be that way? Two reasons I want to talk about this morning. Number one, persecution in the church happens because Satan causes it to happen. Persecution in the church happens because, number one, Satan causes it to happen. First Peter verse five. Uh, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now the Greek word for devour is the word katapino, which means to devour, to swallow, but it also means to destroy. We have an enemy. There is a spiritual battle taking place and we do have an enemy. We need to be aware of that. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Talking about the devil. That's his purpose. That's what he does. That's his objective. is to destroy the work of God. Often when Christians start following Jesus, they face some form of spiritual warfare. It's 
It's that way because the devil doesn't want them to be free. The devil wants to keep them in bondage. I remember when I first came to the Lord, when I was like brand new in the Lord. Um, I was at the University of Waterloo. I was living across the street uh, from uh, the University Plaza there. And uh, one night I was just in my bed, fell asleep. And uh, I woke up and... I don't know if you have ever experienced anything like this where you're awake, but you're not awake. You're in a dream state, right? It's kind of like a half in-between state. You're awake, but it's not really being awake. So you know what I'm talking about? So I was in this kind of weird quasi-awake state, quasi-dream state, and I felt this pressure being pushed down on my back, holding me down. And I, I, was, I was awake, I had my eyes open, looking around my room, but I couldn't move. I couldn't move. And, and I've heard other people having this kind of uh, experience where they can't move. And I'm sure there's some scientific reason that neuroscientists have come up with that explain this phenomenon. The thing with my thing that happened to me was that I actually heard a voice as well. It was a very dark voice. It was there to instill fear in me. And uh, I just said, no, 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 like that. And I woke up. So I was in that state. I heard this dark voice. And all of a sudden I said, no, no, no. Woke up. And I was able to, you know, get up, move around. And I realized that it was just a dream, but it was so real. It was like a spiritual attack. Now here's the crazy thing. I told, I told my friend about this. There was a friend of mine who we used to go to the same young adults group together. Um, and, I, and I called him. I was like, hey, Johan, I don't know what just happened to me, man. But, and I explained to him what had happened. He goes, no way. The same thing happened to me today. It's like, wow. Really? The exact same thing happened to my friend. The same night. Spiritual warfare is real. Perhaps you have faced some form of spiritual warfare since coming to the Lord. Satan does not like it when people find God. It's because he lost his grip on your life and he wants to try to get it back. But the good news is the second half of John 10.10. This is the main point of John 10, verse 10. It says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the main part. That's the big picture. Jesus came to set the captives free and it is in Jesus that we have the victory over all the power of the enemy. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We were praying that as we were praying for uh, the, the mission, uh, Jeff and Sandra and, and Lori. Right? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have the victory in Christ Jesus. But there is a battle. And so what we need to do in prayer is to come against the schemes and plans of the enemy. Especially when it comes to the church. Especially when it comes to Christians in Syria, in Iraq, in North Korea. We need to pray against the evil forces that are coming against them. Because greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. 1 John 4 verse 4. The second reason I want to talk about why persecution happens is because it's also one of God's methods for strengthening 
his children. I don't like that. But it is. Persecution is one of God's methods for strengthening his children. James chapter 1, 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. At times, though we may not like it, God uses persecution to build in us faith in Him. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, To trust God in the light is nothing, but trust Him in the dark, that is faith. There are many examples of faith in the Bible where where followers believed God in the dark times. In Acts chapter 12, we read uh, of King Herod and he killed James, the brother of John. I mean, we're talking James, son of Zebedee. He's one of the main characters in the Gospels. He dropped his net to follow Jesus. Jesus called him and his brother, Boanerges, sons of thunder. That James was killed. Could you imagine how the church would have been rattled by that? I mean, one of the, one of the guys that walked with Jesus was killed. And Peter was put in prison. So here's Peter. He's all chained up, probably about to face execution. Now, many of us, including myself, when I read things like Acts chapter 12, I read it and think, man, that must be bad. That must have been horrible. But I have no grid to understand what that's like. There's no experience to back up what I'm reading in the scripture. So I just say, oh, that must be a bad thing. Wow. Terrible. I have no idea what that's like. No clue. But, but, some of us here may have an idea what that's like. Now, what I'm about to say is not from my own experience. Actually, my wife said this to me yesterday. I get a lot of wisdom from my wife. It's great. Uh, but yesterday, as I was, you know, having a chat with her about the sudden change of sermon um, and, and the topic that we're going to be, you know, talking about today, she mentioned something. Now, many of you uh, may know that Allie went through uh, chemotherapy about a year ago. Um, many, many of you have prayed for us through that entire journey. It was quite the journey. Um, now, thankfully, with Allie, it wasn't cancer, but it was serious enough for us to think about the possibility of not making it. I mean, just the, even the slightest possibility of dying was there. Right? Now, others of you, you have undergone some trials in your health, and it was serious, very real. Some of you have undergone some serious, intense uh, treatments, whether it be chemotherapy, radiation. Some of you know of people in your family who are undergoing such intense, intense trials in their health. 
Some of you have undergone intense surgery where the possibility of not making it on the other end is there. Now, for those of you who have had to consider the possibility of dying, who have even had to consider that possibility, would agree with this statement that my wife said yesterday. You never know what it truly means to be alive until you look death in the eyes. I have no grid. You never know what it truly means to be alive until you look death in the eyes. In situations where you face death, you begin to think of what matters most. You begin to think of what really matters most in life. Suddenly, the things that you've been pursuing don't matter as much anymore. The pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of status, the pursuit of what others perceive of me, it doesn't matter. It becomes fluff and it falls away. And what truly matters comes to the surface. Family matters. People matter. God matters. In those kinds of situations, when you face the possibility of dying, I believe God allows persecution of various kinds to happen so that what truly matters comes to the forefront. For Peter, when he was in prison facing death, what came to the forefront was the kingdom of God. And he gave up everything for the advancement of the kingdom. It takes great faith to preach that message. And persecution in many cases is the foundation for building faith. And so really those are the two main reasons why such hardship happens in the church. And it's not easy. But what we can do is pray as a church here in Canada where we can spend five, ten minutes in peace to really pray for those who don't have the opportunity to meet the way we do. So today we are joining with Christians from all over the world to pray for the persecuted church. We are joining with our sisters and brothers in prayer for the church in Syria, the church in Iraq, and the church in North Korea. And so number one, the church in Syria. We need to pray for the Christians who are being driven from their homes by ISIS and fleeing for their lives. Can't imagine what that is like, having to leave your home and having no idea where you're going to go. Unreal. And that's happening, for real. Number two, pray for the church in Iraq. Pray for the 35,000 Christians in Mosul who are being given the ultimatum to leave or be killed. Again, being displaced from your home. Could you imagine that? And then we're going to pray for the church in North Korea. Pray for the 30,000 Christians who are in labor camps and being tortured for their faith. Being a Christian in North Korea is uh, treason. And they are the number one persecuting nation of Christians in the world. 
still to this day. I think 13 years in a row. It's unreal. So at this time, uh, if you have your bulletins there, in, in the bulletins that you were given, uh, first of all, there's this uh, nice uh, handout that we all received. This is just to remind us to pray, to, to be mindful of those who, you know, who are in the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, who are suffering for their faith. Okay, so I just want to encourage you to take that home um, and read that again. But you'll find uh, a piece of paper with lines there. What we're going to do is we're going to take a moment now to just be still. Just be still. You know, as the uh, prayer points are up at the front, I want you to just quiet your hearts and listen to the Holy Spirit directing you how to pray for the church in Syria, the church in Iraq, the church in North Korea. Some of you, the Lord may place a deep burden on you to pray for families, to pray for moms who've lost their husbands, to pray for moms who lost their kids, to, to pray for husbands who've lost their wives and kids. Perhaps some of you, well, God will give you a burden to pray for uh, the prisoners that are being withheld of food, water. God may direct you in some way. So what we're going to do is just take a moment to be still and write a prayer. We're going to write down a prayer for the church in Syria, for the church in Iraq, for the church in North Korea. And then after that time of writing, we're going to just all pray together in one voice the prayer that we wrote down together. Okay? So let's just take a moment to be still. <laughs> 